0: Hi everyone, my name is Chris and I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch and I help lead one of the midweek connect groups that meets in Wavertree. And I'm here today to try and unpack the passage that we just heard. But before we do that, I just wanna give you a moment to settle in, maybe grab one of the, the Bibles you've got lying around or open up the app on your phone, perhaps get something to entertain your kids or top up that tea or coffee of yours. And once you do that, let me give you a brief recap of where we're up to in our series in Daniel. So for the last few weeks, we've been following Daniel and his friends as they've been taken from their home into a mad world, where everything they once knew has been turned upside down, where their freedoms were limited and restricted, and where the systems and things in place that they used to trust and rely on are gone and all whilst they're trying to live faithfully to God in a way that represents him to the mad world around them. And so Daniel's a really important book for us to dive into at the moment, because that's exactly where we find ourselves. The world is going mad. Our freedoms are limited and restricted. Things are changing every week. Nothing seems stable. And so what God has to say in and through Daniel are things that we need to hear today as we try and navigate our own way through the mad world that we find ourselves in. Well, I hope you've managed to settle in, um, but before we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us see today you in all your glory that you would open our hearts to hear your message, even if that means something difficult to hear. Help us to grow and become more like Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I am ready for this all to be over. No, not my sermon. I hope I haven't bored you so much yet. This crazy lockdown world that we find ourselves in, I don't really want to be stood here in an empty room speaking to a camera. I don't really want to have to put on a mask to pop into the shops or only see someone in a really cold, wet park. We do these things for the right reasons, but I'm exhausted. I'm tired of the constant changes. I'm tired of all the squabbling between so many differing opinions on how best to move forward, from full-scale lockdown all the way to getting on with life and everything in between. But I think one thing that everyone can agree on is that we're waiting for this mad world we find ourselves in to be over. And I'm not sure if you've noticed, but when faced with a mad world, We all tend to do the same thing. We all tend to turn inward. Our reaction is one of self-preservation. Our own felt needs dominates our minds more, and we are less likely to let them be compromised. Over the last few months, we've seen people turn inward in lots of ways, from hoarding food and toilet roll all the way through to self-protecting governments that we've always done the right thing, politicians. We all put ourselves first. But what if instead of turning inward, instead of waiting for this all to be over, there was a way that we could bring life and renewal in this mad lockdown world? Well, one of the key things we've seen in Daniel so far, is how he is able to bring about life and renewal in his own mad world, that he lives at the centre of it and brings God's redemptive work there at the core, not just simply tolerating it and waiting for it to be over. So how do we do the same? How do we go from hopelessly waiting to actually bringing about life? And renewal. Well in today's passage we're going to see in the face of a mad world the way to bring life in renewal is not to turn inward in self-centeredness but to turn outward in weakness and humility. And to see that we need to know three things. We need to see that God is most high, that we are most low, and that humility leads to life. So we rejoin the story here in Daniel a few generations on from where we left off. Before, we had King Nebuchadnezzar, but now in chapter five, we fast forward a few decades and we find ourselves with a new dictator on the block, King Belshazzar, a new world's most powerful man. And depending on how you translate the word ancestor found in the original text, he's more likely to be Nebuchadnezzar's grandson rather than his son. And the first thing that we learn about him is that he seems quite the party animal. We join the events when he's throwing a huge banquet full of over a thousand of the empire's richest and greatest. However, to call it a banquet might be quite a polite way of putting it. We may imagine, you know, nice long tables with lovely flowing tablecloths and fancy food. But to describe what was actually going on, it's probably not allowed before 9pm. This was definitely an 18 plus rated party, rather than PG. And to top it all off, Balthazar even had the idea of bringing the sacred cups from the temple in Jerusalem To be a centerpiece. Cups that were used as a symbol to represent God's holiness were just dragged through the mud. Yet not all is going as well as Shazza would have you believe. Because whilst the banquet is going on, outside the city walls gathers a huge army. An army led by the guy that we meet at the end of the chapter Darius the Mede. You see, the Babylonian Empire is actually on the brink of collapse. The once mighty nation, the one that conquered most of the known world at the time was on the ropes. And now the Medes and the Persians were circling for their final assault. So when faced with his own mad world of sorts, Belshazzar turns inward. He throws a lavish party aimed only looking after himself and proudly satisfying all his desires that he has. He thinks himself as someone who can just simply do whatever he wants. But then suddenly, as we return to the party, something utterly mad happens. We're told in verses 5 and 6 that the fingers of a human hand appears and begins writing on the wall. And on the part of the wall that all 1,000 guests would be able to see on the upper bit of plaster, right next to the source of light. And this, of course, freaks Belshazzar out, so much so that we read that the colour just drains from him and his legs go like jelly. So he summons all of his experts and promises to shower them with gifts if they can interpret what the writings mean. But it turns out they can't read it anyway. And Shazza becomes even more terrified. But then in verse 10, the queen enters and she reminds Belshazzar that in similar situations that have cropped up in the past, Daniel was the one to interpret them. And so it was Daniel with the spirit of God within him who had established himself already in this system as someone as trustworthy and spiritual, he was called upon. But When Daniel arrives, he kind of starts in an unexpected place. Instead of revealing what the writings say, he tells Belshazzar why the writings are there in the first place. He wants to reveal a truth that God has already revealed to his ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar. A truth that Daniel goes on to say that Belshazzar should have already known. Look at verses 18 and the first half of 19 with me because Daniel starts by saying, your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. So Daniel starts by saying, it's God who is most high, not Belshazzar. Although he does have power, it is God who gave him the greatness and glory and splendor to him. Belshazzar may think he's untouchable, that he's in control, He may even think that he is the most high, but Daniel wants to show that God is the one who is highest. He's the one calling the shots. God's the one in control. And he's just proven that with his own family. Daniel recounts the time that when God brought Nebuchadnezzar, the world's most powerful man, to nothing as easy as that. He made the greatest, most firm man to nothing more than an ox. He went from greatness and glory and splendour to eating grass on his hands and knees like a farm animal. It's like taking Donald Trump or Boris Johnson and forcing them to live in a cattle shed. Surely the one who has the power and authority to do that is really the most high, the one in control. Belshazzar tries to replace God as the most high in his life. But if Belshazzar thinks he's up here, God shows that he's way up there. God is the most high, not Belshazzar. He is above all things, in charge of all things, in control of all things. Nothing surprises him, nothing is outside his realm of control, nothing is beyond him. And although this message is first and foremost for Belshazzar, we need to know in our own mad world that God is most high. And that should be a comforting truth to us today, that no no matter what governments or authorities are in charge, no matter what the R number is, no matter if the world seems unrecognizable to us from eight months ago, none of that is above God. There is nothing that has run away with itself or is out of his control. God is the most high and sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, including our own. And the second reason that we need to hear this message is because we too can be like Belshazzar. When given the chance, we often use our power and influence to gain comfort and control. We turn inward. We long, to feel as comfortable and untouchable and self-satisfied as Belshazzar felt, to feel so in charge of everything that I no longer have to do anything that doesn't suit me, to feel so in control that I can do whatever makes me happy, and to feel so secure in ourselves that my felt needs and desires will always be met. Well, one of the many hopes we find in the Bible that God can use horrible and broken situations to bring about good. And what God may be saying to you during this time is that you're not in control as much as you think or want to be. There is one who is higher. Perhaps through this lockdown, this sense of control you had has been taken from you so that, like Belshazzar, you would realize that it's God who is the most high. But if God is rightfully most high and we're not, what does that mean for us? Where does that leave us? Well, that brings us on to the second thing that we need to know to bring life and renewal is that we are most low. And I could just leave it at that to be honest. Knowing that God is Most High should cause us to humble ourselves without need for further explanation. But God knows we struggle against this. God knows that we won't easily let go of the Most High seat. If Shazza forgets his rightful place, God will remind him and us. So after Daniel shows Shazza why God sent the hand, he starts to interpret what God has to say in verse 25. It says, this is the inscription that was written, mene many, mene many tekel pass him. And it turns out the explanation and meaning of these words is fairly straightforward. Although it's not something that a man like Belshazzar would have ever heard before. Numbered, weighed, divided. First we see Mene, and Daniel explains that this means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Now try and really consider how this would sound to a man like Belshazzar. A man who thought of himself as untouchable. A man who people cry out, may the king live forever, anytime they enter his presence. No one would ever even dare mention the possibility of his kingdom coming to an end. But the reality is God is most high and he sets over kingdoms anyone he wishes. And he says Shazar's time is up. His empire is about to end. And it's a theme we've seen throughout Daniel. The same reality was shown to Nebuchadnezzar in two separate dreams. The reality that his time is limited that proud and godless systems that may seem strong and immovable will be humbled before the Most High God. God has even written the word mene twice to ensure that he truly gets it because the concept of it would just be too difficult for a proud and arrogant man like Belshazzar to accept. So second, we see tekel or weighed, and Daniel interprets this as meaning you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now I want you to imagine a set of scales and perhaps rather than um, picturing an electronic one that you may find in your cupboard in your kitchen to do baking with, I want you to picture one of these, an ancient balancing scale. Now, I'm sure you all know how one of these works. You put something that you want to weigh on one side and a known measure or weight on the other. If you put 10 kilos of chocolate on one side, which would be amazing, and you put 10 kilos on the other, it should balance out nice and level. And it's this sense of balance as to why we use it as a visual representation of our legal system. We want the punishment to weigh the same as the crime. We want it to be equal and fair and just, to balance out nice and level. Now, imagine a stack of elephants on one side and someone trying to balance it out with light toilet roll. Well, that's what we see here with Balthazar. And when reading through this passage, it's not really hard to see why, is it? Belshazzar is living his life like God doesn't exist, or at least that he doesn't matter. We see in verses 22 and 23 that Belshazzar should have known that all greatness and glory and splendor were given to him by God. His own family went through the very same, very public lesson, but instead, We read that he sets himself up against the Lord of heaven, defiled the very things that are used to worship him, and praised lifeless gods of silver and gold. Even though he knew everything that has gone on in Daniel so far, he chose not to honour God, who holds his life and all his ways in his hands. Rather, than responding in a lowly posture, he was turned inward and was filled with pride and arrogance. And when measured up against the holiness of a perfect God, Belshazzar is woefully short. He's empty, he's been found wanting. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar will be deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Which is why we see the final word perez, meaning divided. The plural of which is sin, which is written on the wall. And once again, it's not too difficult to see the relevance to Belshazzar, as we have the benefit of knowing what happens in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar will be dead And his kingdom is given over by the Most High God to the Medes and the Persians. God will not go on being replaced. So we see, as we have done throughout Daniel, that pride and arrogance is brought to nothing. What seems strong and mighty but ultimately godless is brought down. And it's easy for us to look at Belshazzar and distance ourselves. It's easy for us to fail to see how we can just be like him. You see, these words to be tringing, ringing true in our own ears. Mene, tekel, perez, numbered, weighed, divided. Just like Belshazzar, Our days are numbered. Although as a culture we don't typically often recognize it, we won't be here forever. Death and mortality has been dragged into sharp focus for us over the last eight months. This time of lockdown has given us time to realize that although we want to project a strong and self-sufficient life, we're actually just fragile and vulnerable. We've been awoken to the reality that we are mortal, that our days are numbered and only the Most High God knows what that number is. Not only are we numbered, but we've also been weighed. Again, it's easy for us to look at Belshazzar and his blatant idolatry and mocking of God and distance ourselves. I've never done anything like that, I'm nowhere near as bad as him. But the reality is, underneath it all, we're just the same. Because we too have set ourselves up against the Lord of heaven by thinking that we can live without him. By wanting to wrestle away control. By replacing him as the Most High. We too have used what is supposed to be special and uh, separated for God's glory for our own selfish pleasures, by using and manipulating others to do what we want, by stepping on the weak and lowly so that we may rise, by using others for our own self-gratifying impulses. And we too have praised lifeless idols of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, by putting our career, reputation, free time, and personal happiness above all else, by devoting ourselves to a life full of success and financial comfort or Instagram-worthy life experiences, rather than set on a life full of worship and service to a God who gave us everything in the first place. We too have not honored the God who holds in his hands our lives and all our ways by trying to replace him, by living our day-to-day lives as if he doesn't matter. We've been weighed. We've been weighed against the pure and spotless holiness of the Most High God and have been found wanting. We're spiritually bankrupt the Bible says that even our best efforts are but used toilet roll. Not only are we numbered, not only are we weighed and found wanting, but our kingdom will be divided. One day, everything you own will be divided and given to others. The things of this world that we tend to invest in and build our lives towards will be dismantled. Every kingdom in which we tend to bank on will pass away. You see, in the light of the most high God, we are most low. Both us and Belshazzar have been humbled. But don't worry. It doesn't have to end the same way for us as it did for Belshazzar because there's two responses on offer one of humility that leads to life and renewal and one of pride that leads to death so let's take a closer look at the back end of chapter four the time that daniel mentions here in verses 18 to 21. you see There's lots of similarities between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Both have everything given to them. Both are filled with pride and arrogance. Both think they're the most high. But both have two very different outcomes. We see Nebuchadnezzar, who has been driven away and eating grass like a farm animal. Respond to the truth that God is most high in humility and praise, giving God all the glory and honour. And do you see what happens? His life is restored. He's transformed from a beast born out of pride and restored to his full humanity. And that's because we're made in the image of God. Our purpose is to show what God is like rather than trying to be God. And so through turning outward and humbling himself, by reflecting God rather than replacing God, Nezah carries out his creation purpose and is restored to life. But when we contrast this with Belshazzar, we see someone who, despite knowing all of this, decides to turn inward putting his needs and desires first. He decides to replace God rather than reflect God. And do you see what happens? We've seen it already. It leads to his death. We've seen in verse 30 that that very night Belshazzar the king of the Babylonians was slain. God will not go on being replaced. The Bible says the consequences of us wrongfully replacing God, our sin, our rebellion, is death. He cannot let evil go on being undealt with. He is a God of justice. The debt we owe must be repaid. The scales must be rebalanced. This passage shows us That humility before God leads to life and renewal, but pride and self-centeredness leads to death and brokenness. But how? How are people who are most low, who have been found wanting, like you and me, restored to life? Well, that's because they're one who is most high didn't consider it something to use to his own advantage and turn inward. No, rather he turned outward and humbled himself and made himself nothing. Jesus humbled himself by stepping out of the heavenly throne room and was voluntarily born in the cattle shed. Jesus, rather than turning inward and protecting himself, even though he had every right to, He humbled himself to humiliation by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was flogged, whipped, and tortured. He looked so weak and feeble. Yet through his humility, he brought about abundant life. Jesus died so that the debt that we owe would be paid in full. Jesus pays the price to rebalance the scales. He died so that we may no longer be found wanting. And it was three days later that he conquered death and was raised to life again. And in doing so he won death for all those who trust in him. You see, through his humility, Jesus redeems the words written on the wall, numbered, weighed, divided. He's the one who subverts our numbered days by granting us eternal life. He's the one who rebalances the scales and gives us the sheer weight of his perfect righteousness. He's the one in whom we are made whole and are invited to be co-heirs of God's everlasting and eternal kingdom, no matter who you are or what you've done. In a mad world like today, it's tempting to turn inward like Belshazzar and serve ourselves. But this passage is a warning, a warning to us all that if we continue to forget God is most high and that we are for most low, then we will be brought to nothing in the end, just like Belshazzar. But if we humbly come to Jesus by saying, you, Jesus, are the most high and I have been found wanting, by taking a lowly posture, asking for forgiveness, and simply relying on his righteousness, then there will be abundant life and renewal. Can I just say to those of you who may not have humbled yourself before Jesus yet, can I encourage you to listen to the writing on the wall? Let go of your useless used toilet roll and let Jesus redeem those words for you. Let him be your righteousness. And I can promise you that you will never find life and renewal like it. So how do we bring about life and renewal in our mad lockdown world? Well, it's like by by becoming like Jesus, by turning outward in humility like he did, by going from God-replacers to God-reflectors. Although we don't have to physically die, we are called to be like Jesus and die to ourselves, to put others first. And let's face it, that can be a really hard thing to do. So where do we find this drive to turn outward in humility when it gets tough? Do we just muster up the motivation within us? Do we just do it out of a sense of guilt, out of a sense of repayment to Jesus? No, it's out of the pure joy of knowing that the most high God, and we are most low, yet are freely redeemed and restored by Jesus. That's what's given us power to do it. This good news gives us the power to turn outward in humility, to bring life and renewal to those around us, even when it gets tough. And Daniel has been a great example for us throughout the last few weeks and in this passage because in his humble knowing that God is the most high, by being a God reflector rather than a God replacer, he has the opportunity to bring about renewal of Belshazzar's godless system, even if it gets him into difficult situations, even if it means speaking truth to the world's most powerful man. And we're called to do the same, to live humbly in a world in a godless system that can be proud and arrogant, but one that God wants to renew. And just like Jesus, life and renewal is brought about through seemingly weak and feeble things. It's in our loving, humble, seemingly insignificant acts that we bring about Jesus's everlasting kingdom. If we choose to reflect Jesus, if we choose to turn outward in humility and put others before ourselves, we'll commit to continuing to meet together, either virtually or physically, to pray and serve others, even if it means we're tired and would rather be doing something else. We'll visit or call the person who is on the fringes, who is lonely, who feels isolated, even if it means it could be slightly awkward and takes up our time. We'll humbly invite our friend or co-worker to hear about Jesus, even if we think they'll say no. We'll gently and respectfully speak truth to power to renew godless systems, even if it means we get into difficult situations it's through these seemingly insignificant acts, by being like Jesus, that life will abound. Jesus' everlasting kingdom of life and renewal is brought about when people in humility do the small and seemingly insignificant things day to day. And we know that because Jesus has shown it well. Imagine a city full of people in the face of a world going mad, rather than turning inward and looking after themselves, look outward, seeking the good of others, perhaps by making a meal for those on their own. Imagine a church full of people, well, when rather than turning inward and skipping the Zoom meeting, people look to humbly bring life and renewal by diligently praying together. Imagine a connect group, where rather turning inward and focusing on making it suit their needs, people do the small and insignificant things, the Jesusy acts, and invite their friend or coworker to come along, even if it means adapting and changing things. That's how we bring about life and renewal in this mad world. By being right at the center of it, loving it and redeeming it and renewing it through humble acts that show and display Jesus. Humbling yourself is never easy. It was too much for Belshazzar. But we must listen to the warning of this passage. The warning of turning inward and pridefully replacing God and serving ourselves because it will only lead to death and brokenness. But if we remember the amazing truth that God is most high and we are most low, yet redeemed through Jesus' humility, then we will bring about life and renewal to those around us. God has called us to remember that we are most low in the light that he is most high, to not turn inward in self-centeredness like Belshazzar, but outward in humility like Jesus, to do the small, humble, seemingly insignificant things every day to bring about life and renewal. Let's pray. God most high, we praise you and recognize you as the one who reigns in glory and splendor. And we thank you that even though we have been weighed and found wanting, we thank you that Jesus redeems us through his humility so that we might live. Help us to be God reflectors, not God replacers, so that we can bring life and renewal to this mad world around us, amen.